Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, talking about Alexander Broom. Another party poet, apparently. Um, according to Swim, Broom is a party poet. He was by profession an attorney and was the author of many drinking songs and satirical verses. My discussion prompt was, was this a comedic poem? I wasn't sure if it was meant to be funny or if... Because it kind of seemed a bit humorous to me, but then I also think 400-year-old humor can sometimes be a bit lost on me. I also asked, what is a canary-lined glass? I'm guessing it's some kind of bottle of alcohol or drink of alcohol. Um, canary glass was the term originally used for flint glass that contained uranium oxide to produce a yellow-colored glass. Broom is a party poet. As we know, this drinking song can be found all over the internet. I've been in love and in debt and in drink this many and many a year, and for th- and these those three are plagues enough, one would think, for one poor mortal to bear. Twas drink made me fall in love, and love made me run into debt, and though I have struggled and struggled and strove, I cannot get out of them yet. There's nothing but money can cure me, and rid me of all my pain, twill pay all my debts, and remove all my lets, and my mistress that cannot endure me will love me. And love me again, then I'll fall to loving and drinking amain. Again? Amain. Amain. Um, cool. Alright, well. Oh, Acoustic Eel says, But if that thou wilt have me love, and it must be a she, is the Renaissance error no homo. <laughs> Swim agreed, noted, laughed out loud. We all laughed out loud, didn't we? Um, you yeah, know, that, that line did strike me as a little bit funny. Although I don't think I literally laughed out loud, but who's keeping score? I say this as I... I'm trying to open up the next poet... Andrew Marvel. Oh, it looks like he's quite prolific. We've got um, six poems by this fellow. Andrew Marvel, born 1621, died 1678. First poem. Uh, I'm going to break this in half, I think, because usually I would power through six poems. But, oh, do I? Do I? Don't I? I've got to get up very early tomorrow. And I've left this to do a little bit late, thinking that I had a really quick one tonight. An Horatian Ode, upon Cromwell's return from Ireland. The forward youth that would appear must now forsake his muses dear, nor in the shadows sing his numbers languishing. Tis time to leave the books in dust and oil, the unused armour's rust, removing from the wall the corslet of the hall. So restless Cromwell could not cease in the inglorious arts of peace, but through an adventurous war urged his active star. And like the three-forked lightning, first breaking the clouds where it was nursed, did thorough his own side, his fiery way divide. For tis all one to courage high, the emulous or enemy, and with such to enclose, is more than to oppose. Then burning through the air he went, and palaces and temples rent, and Caesar's head at last did through his laurels blast. Tis madness to resist or blame the face of angry heaven's flame, and 
if we would speak true, much to the man is due, who, from his private gardens where he lived reserved and austere, as if his highest plot to plant the bergamot, could by industrious valour climb to ruin the great work of time and cast the kingdoms old into another mould. Though justice against fate complain and plead the ancient rights in vain, but those do hold or break as men are strong or weak. Nature the hateth that hateth emptiness allows of penetration less, and therefore must make room where greater spirits come. What field of all the civil war, where his were not the deepest scar, and Hampton shows what part he had of wiser art, were twining subtle fears with hope, he wove a net of such a scope that Charles himself might chase. To Caresbrook's narrow case, that thence the royal actor born, the tragic scaffold might adorn, while round the armed bands did clap their bloody hands. He, nothing common, common did or mean upon that memorable scene, but with his keener eye the axe's edge did try, nor called the gods with vulgar spite to vindicate his helpless right, but bowed his comely head down as upon a bed. This was that memorable hour which first assured the forced power. So when they did design the capital's first line, a bleeding head where they began did fright the architects to run, and yet in that this state foresaw its happy fate. And now the Irish are ashamed to see themselves in one year tamed, so much one man can do that does both act and know. They can affirm his praises best, and have, though overcome, confessed how good he is, how just and fit for highest trust. For yet, nor yet grown stiffer with command, but still in the Republic's hand, how fit he is to sway that can so well obey. He to the commons' feet presents a kingdom for his first year's rents, and what he may forbears his fame to make it theirs and has his sword and spoils ungirt to lay them at the public's skirt. So when the falcon high falls heavy from the sky, she, having killed, no more doth search, but on the next green bow to perch, where, when he first does lure the falconer, has her sure. What may not, then, our isle presume, where, while victory his crest does, does plume, what may not others fear, if thus he crowns each year, as Caesar he ere long to Gaul, to Italy and Hannibal, and to all states not free shall climacteric, climacteric be. <clears throat> the picked no shelter now shall find within his patriot-coloured mind, but from his valour, sad, shrink underneath the plaid, Happy if in the tufted brake the English hunter him mistake, nor lay his hounds in near the Caledonian deer. But thou, the wars and fortune's son, march indefatigably on, and for the last effect still keep the sword erect. Besides the force it has to fright the spirits of the shady night, the same arts that did gain a power must it maintain. That's cool. I dug that. I like that one. Okay, let's read another. This one's called A Garden, written after the Civil Wars. 
See how the flowers as at parade under their colours stand displayed. Each regiment in order grows that of the tulip pink and rose. But when the vigilant patrol of stars walks round about the pole, their leaves that to the stalks are curled seem to their staves the ensigns furled. Then in some flowered beloved hut each bee a sentinel is shut and sleeps so too, but if once stirred she runs you through nor asks the word. O oh, thou, that dear and happy isle, the garden of the of the world erewhile, thou paradise of the four seas, which heaven planted us to please, but to exclude the world did guard with watery, if not flaming sword, what luckless apple did we taste to make us mortal and thee waste? Unhappy shall we never more that sweet militia restore, when gardens only had their towers and all the garrisons were flowers, when roses only arms might bear, and men did rosy garlands wear. All right, one more. To his coy mistress, he had we but world enough and time, this coyness, lady, were no crime. We would sit down and think which way to walk and pass our long love's day, thou by the Indian gang's Ganges side. Shouldst rubies find, I by the tide of humbler would complain, I would love you ten years before the flood, and you should, if you please, refuse till the conversion of the Jews, my vegetable love should grow. Vaster than empires and more slow, and hundred years should go to praise thine eyes and on thy forehead gaze, two hundred to adore each breast, but thirty thousand to the rest. An age at least to every part, and the last age should show your heart, for lady, you deserve this state, nor would I love at lower rate. But at my back I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near, and yonder all before us light as there. Deserts of vast eternity. Thy beauty shall no more be found, nor in thy marble vault shall sound my echoing song. Then worms shall try that long preserved virginity, and your quaint honour turn to dust, and into ashes all my lust. The graves a fine and private place, but none, I think, do there embrace. Now, therefore, while the youthful hue sits on thy skin like morning dew, and while thy willing soul transpires at every pore with instant fires, now let us sport us while we may, and now, like amorous birds of prey, rather at once our time devour than languish in his slow chapped power, let us roll all our strength and all our sweetness up into one ball, and tear our pleasures with rough strife through thorough, thorough the iron gates of life. Thus, though we cannot make our son stand still, yet we will make him run. Well, okay, there we go. It's a sexy one. <coughs> All right, um, we'll call that part one of two, and I'll finish off Andrew, uh, what's his name, Marvel, tomorrow. Thanks for listening. See you then.